generative AI makes doing your job a lot easier uh, and allows you to replicate particularly communications at scale. And so there's no reason why the bad guys aren't going to use those same tools just like the good guys are as well. Okay, excited today to be here with Ian L. Patterson. He is the CEO of Pluralock. Welcome, Ian. Thank you, Joshua. Good to be here. Maybe just a quick intro to Pluralock as a starting point. We are sitting at the intersection between cybersecurity and AI. Um, company started as a software company. We can uniquely identify who you are based on how you type on the keystrokes, type on the keyboard, excuse me, and move a mouse. Uh, so it's a form of behavioral biometrics. We built that up into a product, um, took it to market uh, after some initial uh, commercial success, including the U.S. Army and U.S. Department of Defense, uh, who, who signed up as customers, um, took the company public right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, so right in the middle of 2020. And um, we've been scaling both inorganically, uh, meaning through acquisition as well as organically. So today, most of our customers are businesses or government agencies. They have a number of cybersecurity challenges emanating both from bad guys uh, as well as from regulatory compliance. Uh, and uh, we see a lot of um, uh, we see a lot of opportunity in the financial services sector, which is inclusive of banking, financial services, insurance, et cetera. So we tend to have a lot of conversations around um, cybersecurity in regulated institutions like like in um, uh, uh, like in finance. And I'll say just to sort of put a cap on it, having a lot of conversations right now around AI, generative AI, using generative AI inside of businesses and what, what that actually means in practice. So I'm excited to talk to you today. When you, when you kind of get into the financial services uh, domain, are there particularly unique uh, use cases related to insurance versus, say, banking or brokerage or other segments of financial services? Well, I think one of the things that is different about insurance compared to the other segments of, of financial services is that whereas a, a traditional bank is going to be chiefly concerned with the movement of money, because uh, that's the thing that has value, um, insurance also, for the most part, has a lot of data that they're really concerned about. Um, so some practical examples, um, we have a number of insurance customers today who deal with personal health information. Um, which in the United States obviously is is regulated. That's PHI, personal health information, uh, and so that's another layer of of risk added to the fact that there might also be money involved, or there might be sensitive systems involved, et cetera. So, insurance sort of has that double edged sword where yes, you're worried about financial information, you're also worried about personal health information. Some practical examples: um, we when we're talking about uh, health claims, for instance. Um, particularly those involving veterans, uh, you have uh, really sensitive data that you as an insurance company cannot let fall into hands that are not, um, uh, you know, that are not under NDA, that you, they don't have the right controls in place. So it's some added technical complexity uh, above and beyond just running an insurance business or running an insurance uh, technology business. And because of that, um, businesses who uh, who have that data and who have to interact with that have some additional considerations that they need to put in place, which informs everything. It informs strategy. It informs what kind of insurance you yourself need to get as a business. 
Uh, it informs the the security controls you need to put in place, um, as well as the training, um, the training and enablement for your own team members. So it's it's a it's a more complex uh, beast than um, than originally meets the eye. You know, from a prevention point of view, is it strictly reactive, or is there sort of based on aggregated data a predictive component of this as well? So there definitely is. To be clear, there there are two parts to our business. We have AI-driven software that we build and sell that provides what we call continuous monitoring, uh, and so that's where we're we're looking continuously throughout the day uh, and verifying that it's the right authorized human who is sitting in front of the computer. Um, example, I, I was on the phone with, with one of our large financial institution customers. This was a, a couple of months ago. And he was he, he gave me an example where they actually had an incident um, using our software. Um, so our software monitors from the time that you log in to the time that you log out. So it's full session uh, monitoring. And in this uh, in this example, the the security chief who I was speaking with said we had a, an employee they're working from home. Uh, they successfully logged in as they normally do, and a couple hours into their session, our system, Plurlock system, detected something anomalous. And so our system was set up in that case to take action. So the user was locked out. Their security team uh, at the bank uh, went in to investigate, and when they spoke with the user, it turned out that the user's uh, one of their kids had actually jumped on the the device on on the computer. So it was, a, it was the perfect example because it showed in real life exactly how the system works, uh, you know, without any bad guys actually getting in there. To put that in context, we have a, a second part of our business where we're we're working on more of a solutions basis. So that's where we're, we're providing other products and services. We're providing professional services to our customers. Um, and so that provides a, a much more holistic lens into just talking about risk in a general capacity with with our customers. You mentioned about how behavior patterns indicate to an organization what insurance coverages they need to maybe adjust or add. Is that something you've thought about in terms of collaborating with people in the insurance space or possibly developing um, your your own insurance you know, products uh, that, that take advantage of the data you're generating through your cybersecurity side? Probably not directly the way that you're talking about, but I'll I'll give you some examples. I should actually back up. My background is data and analytics, and actually in previous companies, um, I actually have provided data sets to newer insurance companies uh, who are trying to create novel underwriting models. So it's a, it's a space that I'm quite familiar with, um, and it's one that I think has a lot of opportunity. I think with with Plurilock, we're we're very focused on the cybersecurity problem. Um, and where we see our role is to help with some of those organizations who want to use data, um, but who need to make sure that that data is secure, that that data is not tampered with in some way, that there is clear chain of ownership. Uh, and so you know throughout the data lifecycle, um, how was that interacted with? Because if you're ultimately going to make a lending, lending decision based on that data, these are all questions that you're going to need, need to be able to answer. I think what, what we're seeing a lot of um, right now in the last six months is the use of generative AI, whether it's ChatGPT or, or similar systems, um, being leveraged and inserted into the workflows. Um, and, and, and so, so Plurilock's role within that uh, conversation is to say, 
how can we make sure that if you're using third-party large language models like ChatGPT, that you're not accidentally disclosing uh, confidential data, whether it's PHI, whether it's uh, just confidential data about an individual, such as their social security number, et cetera, how can we help safeguard that? Um, so that is an area that, that we're spending a lot of time. We actually just relaunched uh, a product called PromptGuard, um, which sort of sits, if you can imagine, in an abstract setting, it sits as almost a firewall between an organization and ChatGPT or, or whatever large language model you want to use. And there we're using our existing uh, capabilities where we can identify sensitive information like your social security number, like your email address, et cetera. And we make sure that that data does not get leaked to uh, to a, a public AI model like ChatGPT. So so that's the that's the role that, that we're playing today um, with regards to uh, with, with the regards to data security. Anything you can share about other things you're working on or see coming down the road? I think that generative AI is going to continue to be a, a topic of conversation for a good amount of time. I think the other thing that we're seeing is that generative AI in particular is a uh, an equal opportunity tool. And what I mean by that is the good guys are using it, so are the bad guys. Uh, and so we've seen, we, we, we predicted actually that we were going to see a, a large rise in uh, very lifelike uh, phishing attacks, whether that was through email, which we have dealt with for years and years and years now, but also through other modes of communication. So think SMS messages, think voice memos with a realistic voice, think uh, deep fake videos with somebody that you think that you know who's, who's asking you to do something or telling you to do something. I think that uh, and our, and our position is that we're, we're seeing um, we're seeing an uptick in that already and we expect that to continue because frankly, generative AI makes doing your job a lot easier uh, and allows you to replicate particularly communications at scale. And so there's no reason why the bad guys aren't going to use those same tools, just like the good guys are as well. In in terms of recruiting people into the organization, uh, compensation strategies for a company your stage, uh, how has being public impacted that, if at all? Well, I'd, I'd say I get, uh, I don't know, half a dozen recruiters uh, connect with me on LinkedIn every week. Um, I don't know if the same would be true if I were a private company, but we certainly are on a lot of people's lists. And so we have a lot of talent that is uh, pushed our way um because of because of that fact so i think that's the first thing i think the second thing is that with the change in market conditions which can be going up or going down that obviously has an impact on compensation but the same is also true of public companies it's just that you don't necessarily have a real-time lens into what the value of the company is so as as a practical example um, I can look in every second it'll tell me what the value of the company is and therefore if we issue stock options or um, or RSUs or other forms of equity compensation, you can figure out exactly what that means. If you're in a private company and you don't have that real-time check on valuation, in some cases you can get a, um, a, a misunderstanding or, or you may not have a true value of what that equity compensation looks like. Um, and so some, so, so some real data points, I, I have a colleague um, who runs a, a, a very successful company um, and he's quite apprehensive about raising his next round of financing. Because when that happens, it'll reset the valuation of his company, and he knows that the valuation is going to go down, and that the executives he has brought on board, who had a large amount of their compensation in the form of stock options, are potentially going to be underwater, and those options are going to be worthless. 
And so he he is uh, a ball of anxiety around this decision of having to finance his company because uh, that's what needs to happen in order to advance his business by realizing that as soon as he does that, it's going to make some people very unhappy who maybe had a, a misunderstanding about what the value of their currency was. All right, Ian, anything else you'd like to add before we finish up here? Uh, just that I would encourage people to reach out. So my uh, my email address is ian at plurilock.com, I-A-N uh, at plurilock.com. So so uh, I'm expecting the, the inbound volume to increase. Right. But what I would say is I'm always... I'm always happy to talk to fellow founders um, or business owners, executives who have questions around cybersecurity, risk, information security. One of the most common questions that we get is, hey, I need to get a SOC 2 certification. Can you help with that? What do I do? Who do I talk to? That's a common question. Similarly, we're fielding a lot of questions right now around generative AI. How can we safely make use of it? How can we go through use case identification? So we have resources for both of those, um, which we're happy to send uh, send out. A couple of them are are in the um, uh, we can maybe include in in the show notes. Um, kind of beyond that, we're always happy to talk to businesses who need need help um, when it comes to implementing data protection, identity protection. If you need a pen test, we can help you out. Um, and so we're we're just looking to to create value for our customers and our and our prospects of customers whenever we can. Ian L. Patterson, CEO of Pluralock, thanks so much for being on. Thanks, Joshua. Appreciate it.